One of, the, uh, one of the topics, so we're in a series right now as a church called Taboo, and one of the topics that we've been planning on covering now for, for a few months has been racism. And uh, it's a topic that the church does not talk about uh, nearly enough, and um, uh, it's even more important than ever to be talking about it. Um, what's going on is not a, a Baton Rouge problem, a Minneapolis problem, or a Dallas problem. It's, it's here in our own backyard um, I have enough friends here in, in the, the county that I've talked to that I know that, that um, racism is a very real problem. And uh, so we're going to be discussing it, seeing what God's word has to say about it. God has a lot to say about um, racial inequality, racial injustice. Uh, he, he knew when the Bible was written, he knew that, that uh, the events that have happened this last week would happen. He knew that... Uh, Thousands of people would be enslaved um, because of racism. He knew when he wrote his book, he knew that, that one day in the future that millions of his own chosen people would, would be murdered and killed simply because of their race. He knew all that stuff, and so he's got a lot to say about it in Scripture. And so I'm looking forward to, to diving into that um, I'm in the next two weeks. But uh, I want to just say welcome to all of you. If you're a guest here, we're super excited that you've joined us this morning. Um, this is your church as much as it's anybody else's church, and we're really glad that you're here. But uh, we'd like to get to know you a little bit, and the way to do that is through our connection card. It's a way for us to get to know you and for you to get to know us. Uh, if you've got any questions about our church, any comments that you'd like, like to make, or you want to find out about getting connected, that all happens through the blue connection card the programs are out there by the door, and the Blue Connection card is inside of that. Also, this is really cool. Something that we've been doing for the last few months as a church is we've been partnering with this group called Cosley, and by you checking in on Facebook on Sunday morning, you're making a, an, a real tangible impact in somebody's life. If you check in this morning, go to, on your Facebook account, and you check in on, to, to CTK Ferndale, just you checking in this morning will provide clean water for an entire family for a whole week in a country where they don't have access to clean water. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, pull out your phones at some point this morning and, uh, and check in. And by doing that, you're going to help provide water for a family that doesn't have water. This morning, we're going to dive into uh, another topic that is taboo in the church, a topic that, that is just not talked about a whole lot. Um, it's not talked about because I, I think the church is afraid of some of the questions that it raises. Um, we're afraid of, of where people might go if we raise up the topic. And uh, the topic is suffering. And this last week, uh, someone asked me what I was preaching on when I said suffering. And they said, oh, so we're going to talk about marriage this morning. <laughs> and uh, no, we're not going to talk about marriage, okay? That's not where we're going. Um, and we're not going to be talking about some of the petty things that we might consider suffering. We're not going to be talking about uh, how to get through a few hours when your Wi-Fi goes out because of a power out outage, or the suffering because your team loses the Super Bowl in the last minute of the game, or the suffering when uh, you just don't have as much sunshine in the summer as you would hope to get. That's not what we're talking about. These aren't times of suffering. They're times of being inconvenienced, and there is a difference. Um, suffering is what what happens um, every day to men and women in Syria, Iraq, Libya, who have to endure persecution on a daily basis. 
Suffering is what happens when someone's struggle with a mental illness drags on from weeks to months to years to decades, even reaching the point where they would just not even want to live anymore. Suffering is is what my uncle's experiencing right now, and he's been experiencing for the last year and and almost last year and a half. Uh, 16 months ago, he was driving home from uh, a church men's retreat, and as soon as he pulled into the driveway, he had a massive stroke. And ever since, uh, well, right off the bat, he went into a coma for a month. Um, when he came to, he had, he, couldn't, he had no use of any of his body. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He, he, uh, he couldn't swallow. He could barely even breathe. So they had to put a trach tube in his throat. And to this day, 16 months later, um, he still can't walk. He still can barely talk. And uh, he can't even hardly see because his nervous system has been so damaged that with his eyes open... His, his, his eyes are just constantly moving all over the place. Suffering is what many families are experiencing in our nation um, today as a result of all the, the racial tension that's happening right now. Husbands, fathers, brothers not coming home, lives lost, and as a result, suffering grief and all the pain that goes with that and just an overwhelming sense of loss. Suffering is having almost an entire community wiped out by a mudslide. Suffering is the disappointment that comes after years of of being a faithful employee only to be let go because of corporate downsizing. Suffering is year after year of chronic pain, sickness, and disease. Suffering is watching the kids you've you've raised grow up and make decisions, go a path in life that, that hurts them and devastates you. Suffering is being on the wrong end of, of racial injustice and feeling powerless to do anything about it. Suffering is having to endure constant bullying and ridicule year after year after year from your classmates at school. Suffering is when your spouse of 25 years leaves you for someone else. And we could go on and on and on and on and on this morning, but I think you get the point. In this fallen world, no one is immune from suffering. It doesn't matter how well you've set up your life to be comfortable and to be safe and to be successful and to be healthy. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, if you live in a third world country or in America, no one is immune to suffering. Something will eventually come along and shatter that comfortable, predictable, safe world that you live in. And here's the kicker for a lot of Christians. We're just as vulnerable to suffering as people that that aren't believers. And it doesn't matter how strong your faith is, It doesn't matter how how much you trust Jesus. It doesn't matter how much good you've done with your life. You are just as likely to experience suffering as the person who curses God and wants nothing to do with God. My uncle, the one that suffered this stroke, three weeks prior to that, he's been a devoted Christian almost his entire life. Three weeks prior to that, he was leading a missions trip to Uganda where he was helping set up an orphanage for poverty-stricken kids. Do you know what the most persecuted religion is in the world? It's not Islam. It's not Sikhism. It's Christianity. Christians get cancer. Christians suffer Alzheimer's, have heart disease, and die in car accidents just like non-Christians. And and there are Christians who will say that if you just have enough faith or if you just follow the Christian playbook, you'll have health and you'll have lots of wealth. And it sounds really good, but, but it's just not reality. And it certainly isn't biblical. No one is immune to suffering. Jesus put it plainly when he said, in this world, 
you will have trouble. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus suffer just as much as those who, who don't. No one escapes it. We shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't be shocked by it, but most of the time we are. Which brings us to why this taboo topic is such an important topic for us to be discussing here on Sunday morning. It's because when it does hit you, when it does come along, if you don't have a framework for suffering, a biblical framework for suffering, when it does come along, your foundations will be shaken. And what I've seen happen over the years is that when Christians experience suffering, their foundation is so, so shaken that they just decide altogether to wander away from the faith. As they're bombarded with questions like, if God is all-powerful, why did he allow that to happen? If God can heal me, why isn't he healing me? Why isn't he healing my dad or mom? He must not love me if he's allowing me to endure all this pain. If God is so good and loving, here's the big question that keeps many people from the faith. If God is so good and loving, how can there be so much evil and suffering in this world? Why doesn't he just put a stop to all of that? We've got about 20 minutes to answer these questions. Sound good? But there's these questions, and you can see why this is a taboo topic that we just tend to avoid in church. It is so important to have a biblical framework for suffering so that when it does come along, and it will come along, when it does come along, you'll you'll be prepared. And the pages of Scripture are full of suffering. The Bible is very matter of fact about how suffering exists. Unlike what much of the church tends to do, the Bible doesn't try to sweep suffering under the carpet. The Bible talks about it all over the place. And when you begin to look at the different stories and the different circumstances in the Bible where they're suffering, you'll start to see really quick that unlike what what some well-meaning Christians do or what some biblical theologians do, the Bible doesn't just have one big, broad, sweeping answer to suffering. The Bible doesn't have one big response to to suffering. In fact, the Bible has many different responses to suffering. And and, and they usually, most of these, these responses fall into one of these five categories. In some places, the response of Scripture to suffering is to teach how it can be the result of sin. So if I get jealous of your brand new car, and then I see it through the door there, and after the service, I'm like, I'm really upset about that new car. Why couldn't I have a brand new car like that? I get jealous, and afterwards, I go out and slash all your tires. I take my keys, and I key up your car both, both sides, up and down, and then just for good measure, I light your car on fire. I am going to have to suffer a little bit because of that sinful decision. Um, I'm probably going to lose my job because nobody wants to have a convicted felon for a pastor. So I'm going to suffer that. I'm probably going to suffer some loss of, of, of my marriage is probably going to go through some difficult turbulence as as a result of that. I'm probably going to have to suffer some loneliness and captivity in prison. I'm going to have to suffer as a result of, of that sin. Suffering can be the result of sin. And the Bible says, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them, and their violence comes down on their own heads. Now, a quick, quick couple things to point out. First is this. Not all suffering is a, is a direct result of sin. Not all suffering is a direct result of sin. People sometimes get stuck in karma. And this whole idea around karma where good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that's just simply not true. It's just simply not reality. 
Remember Job in the Bible? Job was like this blameless guy before God. He just had, he was a good guy, successful guy. He just had lived life the right way. And then all of a sudden, he just gets bombarded with more suffering than most of us will ever have to endure in our entire lives. He loses his, 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 his kids. He loses his home. He, he gets just inflicted with boils and sickness and disease. He was a good guy. Yet he lost everything. He suffered more than most of us ever will. The other thing to point out is that not all suffering is a direct result of sin, but all suffering is a result of sin. Let me explain that. So sometimes it's a direct result. I bring your car. I go to jail. Other times the suffering is an indirect result of sin. We all indirectly suffer as a result of Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. When they disobeyed God for the first time, sin comes into the world, and along with it, pain, suffering, and evil, to which people will, will, will hear that and they'll ask, well, why didn't God just make it so they couldn't sin? Like, why didn't God just, why didn't he come in and intervene? Why didn't he just stop that from, from happening? Why did he allow it? We've only got so much time this morning, but if I could just an- tr- try to answer that question in a nutshell for you, it'd be this. So I'm a dad. I've got five kids. I want all my kids to love me. And if, if I'm God, which I'm not, but if you could just pretend, if, if I'm God and if I could somehow make my kids love me, if I could somehow make them do that, I've got, I've got a choice. I could either make them lovely, love me or they could have the option to love me. I, as a dad, I'm going to choose the, the option. I, I want them to love me. I don't want them to love me because they feel like they have to. I, I want them to love me. And, uh, and, and, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to just love them like crazy, and, and I hope they're going to love me in response. God plops Adam and, Eve in, Adam and Eve in the garden. He loves them like crazy. He walks with them. He talks with them. He blesses them with this incredible gift called creation, and and then he gives them the freedom to love him or not to love him. If they love him, they're, they're going to trust him. They're going to follow him. They'll, they'll obey him, not because they have to, but because they want to. It, but here's the deal. By, by giving them that freedom to love, he also gives them the freedom to hate. By give them the, giving them the freedom to, to, to follow him, they, he also gives them the freedom to disobey and to not follow him. And to disobey, to hate, to choose something or someone else other than God is sin. And by the way, God can't make anybody love him. Because if you make someone love you, is that really love? It's not love. I mean, Bruce Almighty, everybody, right? Love me! No, God can't. You can't make, remember that movie? You can't make, he can't make anybody love him. That's in the world. You can't make someone love you because if, someone is loving you because they're made to love you, then that's not really love. And God gives us this freedom. And, and I, don't, I don't know why all the violence and death has been plaguing our nation recently. I, I don't know why you had to suffer abuse as a helpless child or why you have to suffer through your sickness. I don't know why six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. But one thing I do know is this, that sin, sin is far far more destructive and deadly than we'll ever fully realize. And the result of Adam and Eve's sin wasn't just a couple bites out of an apple. It was like this atomic bomb went off and sin entered the picture and it has wreaked havoc on all of humanity and on creation itself 
ever since, causing tremendous amounts of suffering. The freedom to decide whether we'll love or hate, follow his ways or not, is something that God gives all of us. And here's the thing when it comes to this, this freedom. We call it free will in pastor circles. He gives us this free will. And, here, and here's the thing I've, I find in talking with people is that a lot of times we want God to stop other people from making choices. So we want God to stop the madman who's, who's taking out um, innocent lives, but we don't want God to stop us from making our own choices. We don't want God to come along when we're in the middle of a, a, a fight with our spouse, and just as we're about to say something that we shouldn't be saying, God comes along, he covers our mouth so we can't talk. We don't want God to do that. We, don't want, we, we, we get this free will thing, but as long as it's with somebody else and not with me. But God gives us all the gift of freedom. He gives all of us the gift of freedom. We've been misusing that gift ever since the Garden of Eden. And as a result, we've, we've had to, to endure the pain and the suffering that misuse has brought. Another response of Scripture that we see to suffering is to show how its purpose can be for a greater good. So the story of Joseph, Joseph gets um, wrongly enslaved and, and sold off to slavery. Um, he's betrayed by his family. He's betrayed by his own brothers suffers through a ton of betrayal, loneliness, fear, uncertainty, pain, all that for many, many years. But at the end of it all, he's able to say um, to his brothers who sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God took his suffering and he used it for greater good, to save his family and preserve a nation. Other times, the greater good... uh, is, is maybe it's not quite so wide scale like that. Maybe it's a, a greater good that he's, he's wanting to do in your own life. You'll go through something hard, a difficult time of suffering, and God at the end of it will, he, he'll, he'll work through all that to make your faith stronger. He'll work all that, through all that, to just drive you close to him, to drive you deep into his love. This is the kind of purpose in suffering that we read about in the book of Psalms where it says this, for you God tested us, you refined us, like silver. As they went through suffering, he's refining them, he's shaping them, he's working in their life. The refining that often comes in the form of suffering, it purifies, makes, makes you stronger. Another response of scripture we see to suffering is to point out how it can be caused by cosmic evil forces. The Bible is very clear about how what you see is not all that there is. There are unseen forces out there that that we can't see. And the Bible tells about how Jesus, he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Sometimes there is a direct link between suffering and evil forces. Sometimes that's the case. It's not always the case, but sometimes that's the case. We've got a very real enemy. And the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. He's, He's not just out there somewhere, but he's, he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. That's the kind of enemy that, that is out there. And, and this is why we got to be ever vig- vigilant, like the Bible says, alert, sober, constantly in prayer, constantly in worship, constantly being in, tr- in Christian community around others who can, who can walk alongside of us. Sometimes the response the Bible has is to point out how it can be 
caused by cosmic evil forces. Another response of Scripture we see to suffering is to leave it at mystery. Someone suffers in the Bible, and the Bible doesn't come along and try to explain why that is. It doesn't try to answer it. It just leaves it at mystery. And this is, this is Job. Job, with all the suffering that he went through, um, he's a good guy, but, but then he just, in the first couple chapters of Job, we see how he suffers tremendously, and then almost the rest of the entire book is, uh, it's a conversation between Job and a few of his friends who come along to, to try to comfort Job. They do a terrible job of it. They try to, to point out some different things that could be causing all the suffering, and, and they're, they're just trying to get to the bottom of this. They're trying to tell Job, hey, maybe you've got some things, some, some areas of your life where you've sinned or you've made some mistakes. They're, they're trying to reason with Job and explain the suffering. This goes on and on and on, maybe for months, maybe for years. We don't know, but eventually God comes in and God speaks. And when he speaks, it's not to explain to Job why he's had to suffer. God doesn't come in and solve this mystery of Job's suffering. Instead, he says this, along with a bunch of other stuff, but he says, would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? And it's, it's, as if, it's as if he's saying, Job, do you think I'm not just? Do you think I'm not fair? That I can't be trusted or that I'm not good? And then he leaves it at that. He just leaves it. Leaves it at that. Leaves it at mystery. It's as if God's saying, I'm God, and I, I don't owe anybody an explanation of why you're going through what you're going through. The last response of Scripture we see to suffering is to simply lament, to, to question, to mourn, to doubt God, as we saw in Scripture last week, is totally okay. And you see this over and over again in the Psalms. You see it over and over again in the book of Jeremiah, Isaiah, the book of Lamentations, these laments where people just, they, they go through suffering and they just, the, the pain and the agony and the questioning and all that, that that comes along with that, they just, it just overflows out of their heart. There's many laments included in the Bible and these aren't there so much to discuss the why question of suffering as much as the how question. question. How should I suffer? How, how, how do I keep praying? How do I process through suffering? King David, he wrote many of these laments when he suffered, and one of them is recorded in Psalm chapter 10 where it reads this. It says, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God, do not forget the helpless, but you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted, you consider their grief and take it in hand. The Lord is king forever and ever. You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. It just laments. It shows us how to, how to mourn and how to grieve and process through suffering. The why questions are okay, but then he comes back again to know, God, you're, you're, you sit enthroned. God, you're, you're king over all. And he comes back to worship. But the response is just to lament. Everyone experiences suffering, and everyone responds differently. And the question that, that we're going to try to answer here in the last few minutes is not how to avoid suffering. That's the wrong question for us to be answering, how to avoid suffering. The question for us to be answering is how do we endure suffering, and how do we do it in such a way 
that we become more and more like Jesus. And I want to spend the last bit of our time sharing some truths that, that will help you endure suffering. And if you're in pain this morning, if your life is hard, if your world is just flipped upside down, if everything that you thought you knew about God, now you're questioning about God because of suffering, if you're in a place where you just, the, the foundations of your faith, it's just all being completely shaken, let these truths bring you strength and hope this morning. And the first one is simply this, Jesus is for you. Jesus is for you. Someone's got to hear that this morning and let it sink in down here. Jesus is for you. He's for you. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? He's not against you. He's not He's not mad and angry at you. He's not, he's not trying to make your life hard and miserable. He's not uncaring and unloving. The truth of the Bible says he's for you. He is for you. And not only is Jesus for you, but Jesus is with you. One of the first places a believer goes when they start to experience suffering of any kind, and I've been here myself, so I know what it's like. The first place you want to go in your heart and in your mind is, okay, if I'm going through all this right now, then God's just abandoned me. He's just off doing something over there. He, he's, he's not, I don't know where he is, but he's certainly not showing up in my life right now with everything that I'm going through. That is not true. He's with you. He's never left you. I love what Psalm 23 says. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For you are with me. You're walking right beside me. You're not sending me through that valley to walk through it, to walk through that suffering on my own while you sit up there in, in your comfy chair in heaven. No, you're walking through the valley with me. Suffering, the suffering is unbearable. When you don't know that God is for you and God is with you, it's unbearable. But when you know that God is with you, that he's there through the, the pain and the suffering around you, it brings tremendous strength. It gives tremendous hope. It gives tremendous comfort. You know, right now in our nation, people are going, where in the world is God? That doesn't bring hope. You've experienced it this morning as we've been here worshiping Jesus in light of everything that's going on, when we lift high the name of Jesus, it brings strength, doesn't it? It brings hope. It brings comfort. Jesus is, he's with you. And you know what else will help you to endure suffering? It's the truth that Jesus, he knows and he understands what you're going through. He's not just, he's not only for you and with you, but he knows and he understands what you're going through. In Jesus, we don't have some cold, uncaring God that is sitting up there in heaven in his safe little bubble while he looks down and he just hopes that we make it through our suffering. Jesus, God himself, suffered. He faced constant rejection, death threats, grief from losing a loved one. He faced hunger, betrayal, and in the end, he suffered a brutal, horrific death on a cross. The Bible says that he was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of what? A man of suffering and familiar with pain. And when you understand that Jesus is 
a man of suffering, that Jesus is familiar with pain, that he knows what you're going through because he's been there himself, suddenly the, the truth that he's for you and the truth that he's with you, it becomes that much more meaningful, doesn't it? You're not walking through that with, with, with the, a God that hasn't suffered immeasurably himself. He's a friend, he's a companion, a helper who's been there before. The Bible says that he empathizes with our weaknesses because he knows, he understands. Author and pastor Timothy Keller, he, he says this, and it's so good. He says, the Christian um, answer to suffering views God as both sovereign, so he's over everything, he's in control, he's over all. It views, as, views him as both sovereign and suffering as both trans, transcendent, overall, and present. It views God as victor and victim, Lord and servant. There is no other religion on the planet that views God as both sovereignly in control of everything and at the same time as suffering. Only Christianity. Jesus knows and he understands what you're going through because he has suffered himself. Another truth that helps you endure is this. Jesus makes suffering meaningful. There's this uh, familiar story in the Bible where Jesus, he's addressing one of the questions that people always ask, especially in the church, when they're suffering. Uh, the Bible says that walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. So here's a man who has suffered. I can't, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to, to suffer through years and years and years and years and years of blindness. But this man has, has been blind from birth. And so his disciples come to Jesus, and they, they're like, they got a question. Rabbi, who sinned? They just automatically assume that he's suffering, so there's sin involved. This, this man or his parents causing him to be born blind? Jesus said, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame, and there's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. It's like Jesus is saying, you can ask why all you want and I'm okay with you asking why, but a better question to be asking is how does God want to work through this? How could God make it meaningful? And for this blind man here in this story, God takes all those years of blindness. He takes all that suffering. And then Jesus comes along, and you, you probably know how the story goes. He heals this man, and as a result, this man experiences life. He experiences Jesus in a way that, that most will never experience Jesus not only does he experience Jesus, but all those around him experience the joy and the goodness of Jesus as a result. And for the Christian, suffering is not meaningless. It's just not. Christianity teaches that it can have purpose, it can have meaning, that Jesus can take all the bad and he can somehow bring good from it. He can cause your suffering to, die, to, to cause you to dive deeper into who he is. And then lastly this morning, if you're in the middle of suffering, you need to know that Jesus alone can provide the hope and the strength that you need. Jesus alone. David wrote this in the middle of suffering, Psalm 73, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? To be able to say that in the middle of your suffering, 
You know, people are sometimes tempted to turn their back on God, but when you turn your back on God, you're going to something else. It takes just as much faith to believe that there isn't a God, a God as it does to believe that there is a God. And when you turn your back on God, you're going somewhere else. And is, is that, whatever that place is, is it, could, could it be any, is it better? David says, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's God. Hope and strength is found in God alone. One of the things, this last Easter I shared how something that I'm personally trying to do better is to center my life just as much around the resurrection as I do around the cross. I think too much, too often in the church, yeah, we love the cross and rightfully so, but, but we tend to forget the resurrection. Then Easter comes around and we, we, we talk about the Easter for, Easter for a few days, but then we forget about Easter and we go back to, to, uh, to just however we do, do life. But when you center your life around not only the cross, but you center your life around the resurrection, it gives you a whole new perspective on so much of what happens in life. And one of the things that it gives you a new perspective on is suffering. I find that, that when I center my life around the resurrection, that it gives me hope and strength in the middle of pain and suffering. It tells me that no matter how bad the pain, no matter how bad the suffering might be, that at some point it's going to come to an end. There's a new and there's a brighter day ahead. And you got to know that this morning, regardless of where you're at, because of the resurrection, we've got this hope that things are going to get better. Eventually, they're going to get better. And bank your hope, bank your, 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 your life in that, that truth this morning. I want to leave you with one last verse this morning before we close in prayer. And it's, it's one that's very familiar in the church, but it's so good when we're talking about suffering. It says this in 2 Corinthians. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We only have that hope because of the resurrection. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray today that, well, Lord, I want to lift up the person that's here this morning who is suffering. Lord, there might be someone here who's, who's been suffering, not just this last week, but it's been suffering that's gone on and on and on for, for the last several years, maybe even decades. God, they've suffered from something. It could be something physically that they've suffered through. It could be some kind of relationship that they've been going, that they're, they're, they're in. Um, Lord, I don't know what it is, but you do. And Jesus, I just want to pray that this morning, that Father, you would come alongside of them like you always do in, in our suffering, that Father, in this moment, you would come alongside of them and where their heart and their flesh is failing. God, would you come in and bring strength? Would you come in and bring hope? Jesus, would you come in and just encourage this morning? encourage them. Encourage them with the truth that you're for them. You're not against them. Encourage them with the truth that, Jesus, you're walking alongside of them. You haven't abandoned them. 
encourage them this morning. And God, this morning, where their, their faith might be just taking a beating, I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would help them. Help them, Jesus, to have a faith in you that's strong. Help them, Jesus, to be able to see you. Lord, I'm pretty sure as I read that last verse, there's someone here was going, I, I, I can't even think about seeing the unseen because the scene in my life, the suffering in my life is so big, it's so real. I can't see the unseen. I can't see the truth about who God is. Lord, I ask this morning that, Father, you would help them come alongside of them in your grace and in your mercy and help them to see your goodness, help them to see your faithfulness, help them to see how you are a God of immeasurable love and mercy and how you care so, so, so much for them. Help them, I pray. And, Father, for those in our nation this morning, God, we can't talk about suffering without bringing up those this morning who have lost a family member. And we just, we pray, Father, that, Lord, you would come in their suffering and just make yourself known. Lord, I don't know who's a Christian, who's a believer, who's not, but, Jesus, you do. And I pray, Jesus, that you would make yourself known. Make yourself known. Father, I just want to thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that, Jesus, in you, we have a fellow sufferer on this journey. We have someone who, who knows what it's like to suffer in the most horrific, horrific of ways. Lord, help us to rest in you. Help us to lean on you, I pray. In your good name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, I hope